everybody, this is Robbie, and welcome to a special edition Mixing Life podcast. Today, we're excited once again to have good friend and FSI CEO and general manager, Brom Desmond, with us. Thanks, Brom, for being here. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for having me on. On this podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about HDR as well as FSI's brand new 3000 nit. Yes, you heard that right. 3000 nit true 4K 31 inch HDR mastering monitor. And that model is the XM310K. As I mentioned in the copy for this insight, a few months ago, Brom came by my facility and showed me and Patrick the XM650U, which is FSI's 65-inch UHD HDR OLED display, which is also stunning, and it's garnered a lot of attention and uh, a lot of awards as well. It's truly a fantastic display. But what we couldn't mention at that time was that FSI was hard at work on a brand new display, the XM310K. And we'll get to the XM310K in a moment, but I thought we'd start our conversation out by talking about the state of HDR. What is HDR and all that kind of stuff. So, Brom, for the complete newbie, what is HDR? Well, it's, as the name implies, high dynamic range. So what you're going to get there is just a much brighter screen, but not just brighter. You can also just show a lot more detail. Uh, so if we, um, you know, in, in ter- talking about SDR, Rec. 709 at, um, you know, 100 nits, what you're looking at is you're cramming everything into what's effectively the same as about seven stops or so of, of dynamic range. HDR really opens, th- opens things up a lot more, uh, gives you a lot more headroom, also gives you a lot more bits in between. It's typically associated with the use of wide color gamut as well. So you get more vibrant color, um, you get more saturated color, you can get brighter color. In short, it makes things or it gives you the ability to make things um, more lifelike, uh, more like you would see in the real world. You're not trying to cram everything into this the, you know, tiny 100-nit uh, container. And uh, that, of course, has its pluses and minuses. <laughs> that's, that's very true. Now, obviously, the monitor plays a central role in an HDR pipeline, right? I mean, we've, yeah. had, cam- we've had cameras forever that can record this amount of information, you know, 12, sure. 13, 15 stops. But seeing it has been a different story. So, um, you know, if, could you briefly kind of uh, help us out a little bit with some of kind of the the challenges of where kind of HDR monitoring's at? It seems like, you know, everywhere you look, if you go to Best Buy, et cetera, like you're seeing HDR displays, but then it doesn't seem like the professional market has that many of them. Like what in your mind is kind of separating the market between, you know, kind of a consumer HDR display versus kind of a professional HDR display like you guys are making? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, part, part of the reason you don't see a ton of professional HDR solutions, uh, is that on the professional side, our needs are a lot different uh, than on the consumer side. So on the consumer side, a typical HDR implementation like a, a Dolby Vision implementation on a consumer set will use tone mapping. And that tone mapping allows you to have a display that, you know, maybe you buy a LG TV that can only do 600 nits or 650 nits. And it still allows you to take that HDR content that may have been mastered at 1,000 or 4,000 nits and have it look correct on that display. But in a professional application, we don't want tone mapping and we want the unit to simply clip and we want the unit to hit these minimum benchmarks. And these minimum benchmarks are kind of above what a consumer TV can do reliably and accurately. So uh, typically we're looking for at least a thousand nits. Um, There's been a big push at some facilities to look at 2,000, 4,000 nit and above uh, type uh, displays as well. And that's something you're simply not really seeing on the consumer end and certainly not seeing on the consumer end without some other major drawbacks. Uh, As I tell people all the time, it's, it's easy to make a bright TV 
yeah. but bright is not HDR, and uh, right, we need to right. we need to make sure we separate those things. So you need good black levels as well. Um, so you really need uh, high contrast, not just high brightness. So you hear a lot of terms when it comes to HDR. You know, there's a lot of new acronyms for people. Um, let's just cover a couple of the uh, the real basic ones because uh, I think that they can be confusing. We hear this word "nit" all the time. What, yes. what is what? What is a nit? I think nit. I think you know, like nitpicky person, right? Like somebody who's really detailed. <laughs> what, what is it? What is it? What is a nit? A measurement of? So nits is actually just um, a kind of a colloquial term for uh, candelometer squared because candelometer squared is a mouthful to be fair. Yeah. Uh, so candelometer squared is just a measurement of light. Uh, so when you're when you're measuring light coming off of a screen, for example, we usually quantify that in candelometer squared uh, to give you an idea. Of course, with SDR, we're usually looking at a level of a hundred candelometer squared. Uh, with HDR, we're typically looking, and the professional side at least, for at least a minimum benchmark of a thousand candelometer squared uh, and then uh, on the top end you have displays like the XM310K at 3000 candelometer squared or the Dolby Pulsar at 4000 candelometer squared uh, and, and that's you gotta also remember that um, certain HDR standards like uh, like SC2084 are kind of predicated on this theoretical 10,000 nit display uh, and that's how all the code values are coded for this uh, 10,000 nit ultimate kind of uh, benchmark. Okay, so that you brought up something that's kind of interesting. You mentioned ST2084, which is the SMPTE standardization of what Dolby did a lot of research on and kind of uh, kind of brought to the market, and that is uh, PQ, right? Yep. Um, PQ or 2084, as well as HLG and uh, you know HDR10. There's a lot of standards out there. Um, where do you kind of feel like we are with these these standards at the moment? Uh, is one better than the other? Uh, which standards do you guys support? That kind of thing. Yeah, so uh, we support basically SC2084, you know, same thing as PQ, um, and HLG, which are kind of the, the two leading uh, methodologies for, for approaching HDR. Uh, HLG, it's funny because certainly in the U.S., there seems like a lot of people... Um, uh, you know, they're kind of disparaging of HLG, but right. I think HLG definitely has its place. Um, if you want to do live television in HDR, uh, I think HLG is uh, very effective at that. Um, and the other thing that's kind of nice about HLG and one of the selling points that's typically put forth is that it ends up being quite backwards compatible without needing additional metadata or any sort of really new infrastructure. So you send out uh, one signal and what you end up getting is kind of a good, better, best type scenario where the image will look good in SDR, it will look better if you have a half decent, you know, 650-nit, 1,000-nit TV, and then if you've got something that can do 3,000 nits and your content uh, is actually set up to try to approach that target uh, in HLG, it will look even better. So um, it, it has, it definitely has its place. Um, that being said, SC2084 is what we really see as the ingrained um, kind of standard people are using uh, for mastered content, um, and that's where you see, you know, your movies, your your Dolby Vision, your HDR10 uh, mastered content right, is right. all using that. Right, and I made that mistake, but you corrected it very well. Is that you know Dolby Vision, uh, HDR10, HDR10 Plus? Those are all based on PQ. Uh, they're exactly. Not, they're, they're not. It's not using some other technology. It's all PQ as well. All right. Exactly. So, so Brom, you guys over the past uh, year or so have brought another, as I mentioned, another HDR monitor to the market. Uh, that is the XM650U, which is a beautiful 65-inch uh, UHD HDR-capable OLED, and now you have this brand new 31 
one inch uh, XM three ten K LCD. Kind of, if you could briefly kind of describe, kind of what is your your guys' philosophy on kind of HDR monitoring? I've I've been to your website several times and I've noticed that you know you kind of distinguish between HDR monitoring and HDR mastering. Yeah. Uh, what, what what does that really mean, and how are you kind of positioning these products? Yeah, so we, we try to break it up into kind of three categories throughout our lineup. So we have um, on the very kind of entry level, we have what we call our HDR preview, and that's kind of just a quick and dirty um, normalization of the footage, kind of like you might uh, delog a log signal on set and mm. view it as Rec. 709. What we're doing there is we essentially give you the ability to do what we call a soft roll. So you're going to roll in all the highlights, but you're going to cram all that into 350 nits or so and and that's really just to give people this real rough yeah this might be going in the right direction type of thing as opposed to trying to look at a uh, pq signal without any sort of correction and that actually works quite effectively it can also be used effectively for kind of editorial applications where you don't feel like spending the money on a uh, hyper expensive hdr monitor now the step up from that is what we call hdr monitoring and that's really where the xm650u comes in the xm650u it, it certainly gives you the appearance and the feel of hdr it gives you the ability to show your client something that will look as much like an hdr image as uh, the hdr they might see at home but it right. may fall short of some of those kind of um, uh, benchmarks for for hdr mastering and, and those are going to be things like volumetric limitations peak luminance limitations you know the xm650u kind of just brushes up against the the minimum standards for uh kind of a dolby vision mastering type setup you can barely get the thing to a thousand nits um and really it's it's a little more comfortable at like say 950 nits <laughs> and uh and you know that's on a really small test patch that's going to be at an l10 size test patch so you're you're not even covering one percent of the screen at that point um and then you know again there's definitely a lot more loading behavior um and volumetrically there's only so so much you can do with that display. Um, so if you get you know really bright, really saturated reds, blues, greens, things like that, you may not be able to hit them with quite the level of accuracy that you would like. But certainly for a client sitting in a room, it's going to give them the ability to look at an HDR signal on something that's a little bit bigger than these 30-inch monitors we all seem to be using. Right, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah. And then, of course, beyond that, we have what we consider our, tr our true HDR mastering monitors. Uh, what we generally use as our benchmark for what we consider an appropriate mastering monitor is something that just clearly hits the the kind of minimum standards you would need for something like a Dolby Vision mastering situation. So you're going to okay. hit at least a thousand nits. You can do a thousand nits on an appreciable amount of screen area. Um, the XM310K, for example, on an L20 size patch, it can do 3000 nits at L40, which is a very large patch. You can actually still do 2000 nits. So it, it hits those benchmarks very easily. The other nice thing is that that display is very linear. That display can hit all the volumetric points very well. Um, so when you have those really bright saturated colors it's not falling short it's really kind of nailing all of that um, and so it's it's really it's a different animal it's also why it costs so much more because it's much more difficult to build something that does 3,000 nits so so let, let, let's uh, let's talk about that a little yep. bit I mean you guys have had uh, you you and your engineering team uh, have obviously had some experience now at building these HDR monitors uh, both you know OLED and now uh, with the XM310K with uh, with LCD and um, uh, that technology. Yep. What what are the what are the biggest challenges with making an HDR monitor? Is it is it hitting that peak brightness? Is it the volumetric stuff? Like where have you found the the challenges in getting getting these displays up to you know kind of the the standards that FSI has for 
for a, for a monitor. Yeah, so it's interesting because the, the challenges vary so much by the type of technology that you're looking at. So with the large format OLEDs, these WRGB OLEDs, the challenges are definitely uh, linearity when you're talking about HDR performance, uh, you know, the type of response you get. It's a very nonlinear type response and it requires very large test patch sets to calibrate accurately. Uh, in addition to that, they really struggle to get to that thousand nit benchmark um, and so that becomes a challenge and that's going to be a challenge for OLED for quite some time I believe it's hard to make these things um, uh, you know bright uh, now the cool thing about OLED is that if you've got you know a couple of pixels you know, sized uh, point of light and you want to get it to a thousand nits that's real easy to do uh, so right, right, right. Um, it, it can hit that very easily with the 310k the challenges are really different so it, it you know it's a zone backlight system it has 2048 elements in it um, and it can you know the nice thing about LCD is you can essentially engineer LCD to be brighter and brighter by just increasing the power to the backlight increasing the capability of the backlight you can always just throw brighter backlights in um, now the challenge with a system like that where you're making something so bright on an LCD is how do you control black levels uh, so there are two general approaches uh, one of them is what we're using in the XM310K which again is that 2000 uh, element array zoned backlight. So what we do is we actually modulate the backlight at different levels uh, so the dark areas of the image get darker and the bright areas get brighter. Um, and that gives you a very high contrast ratio, so easily in excess of a million to one. You can hit black levels. If you're feeding it full screen black, you'll get zero, just like you would on an OLED. If you've got bright corners on, on the screen, you know, if you've got a box in each uh, section doing 3000 nits, and then in the center of the screen you have black, you'll still get black levels that are point oh oh two nits or so so still a million to one contrast or or more very easily um, but the difficulty with that is really all the algorithms that have to go into driving the display because now you're driving a backlight and a TFT front plane. You got to make those things sync up and you have to try to avoid artifacts. And so the enemy of something like uh, 310K is going to be small bright objects that are moving fast, right? So, <laughs> um, and the better your algorithms, the less objectionable those kind of challenges become. And so that's been the process we've been going through is um, refine the algorithms, find those edge cases, deal with those edge cases. Uh, and that's something we're really going to you know, keep pursuing. So as we get feedback from people, there may be something that we hadn't thought to test. And someone says, hey, when I do this, I get a level of performance that's not quite what I expect. Then we have the ability to go in, tweak things, make things a little better. Um, but there's there's always kind of a push and pull there because you have to balance uh, you know, the performance so that it works well with all content. And we really feel like we've gotten the 310K to a place where it's going to work for a lot of facilities and especially those facilities who really need something that's brighter than a thousand nits and that want to address some of the other challenges you might have with OLED based technologies. Uh, and that kind of brings up another uh, potential technology, okay. which is this uh, light modulating cell layer. Uh, so we've probably heard a few people talk about that. And that's something we've been exploring intensely as well. And that kind of tries to give you the best of both worlds. So you get um, basically per pixel kind of dimming. And the way you do that is you actually have kind of like two TFT planes almost. Um, so one layer is just a, modulates the amount of light coming through. And this gives you OLED type black levels and avoids these kind of this need for algorithms or anything complicated. Uh, but the beautiful thing is you can actually do a thousand nits full screen on that if you want. Um, oh, now, wow. 
there are still limitations with that. All the light modulating cell layer technologies being developed at this point really only get to about a thousand nits. So if you want 3000, then the zone system is really the only game in town uh, at this point. Now that may change in the future, but at this point, if you want zone, if you want higher luminance than a thousand nits, you really have to go to like a zoned backlight system. And if you want, um, if you want, uh, you know, no halation artifacts, no loading behavior, you want to get rid of all those kind of typical drawbacks, yeah. then as long as you're happy with a thousand nits, uh, this light modulating cell layer can do that for you. Well, I think, you know, as you guys research that and put that into play, maybe in a, in a future monitor, I mean, it's that's it's a really interesting thing because I am, as you know, and just for uh, sake of transparency, Brahm has been nice enough uh, uh, to bring up both the 650U, the OLED HDR monitor I have, and then recently he brought up the 310K to my facility and uh, let me uh, let me play and experiment a little bit. And they are different beasts. Yep. You know, I think one of the nice things about the light modulating cell layer technology is that, you know, I struggle with this. I'm doing mainly broadcast type work, right? Uh, and there's no way that, that a lot of that content that I get is really going to benefit from 3,000 nits. And we'll get into that in just a second. Um, so, like, the kind of, in my mind, you know, uh, uh, a thousand nits is kind of a sweet spot for a lot of the work that I do. But then again, kind of the the nerd in me is like, ooh, three thousand nits. That's that's amazing. I want that. So it's gonna be. I, I I'll be interested to hear what you guys hear from customers. Uh, you know, over the next year as these technologies and more people get their hands on these displays, kind of where that sweet spot is. You know, and how and how people are feeling about it. And, and we definitely we're very interested in, in in pursuing all these avenues, right? So we're doing the OLED technology. We're uh, already done the zone backlight. We've been intensely researching the light modulating cell layer technology as well, and. For us, it's the same kind of thing, right? So the 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 um, the kind of way we want to go with this is probably to hedge and say, okay, well, we're going to offer customers the choice. Which which right. way do you want to go? And the like you said, what we find currently, the feedback that we get across the majority of facilities is, hey, we're really happy at a thousand nits. We don't think we actually need a lot more. But the thing to keep in mind is that there are stakeholders out there uh, at certain facilities, at certain companies that are really pushing for more, um, either because they have a vested interest you know, on a commercial yeah. side of it. But there's also a really compelling argument that I've heard made, and that is that um, we also are at this point now where we can kind of reevaluate um, how we create and master content for end users at home and for the type of viewing environments they are actually going to be in. And yeah, what yeah. I mean by that is that right now, the reason I think we're all happy at 1,000 nits is because we're still going, all right, we're going to make the average picture level kind of like SDR. We're going to live at 100, maybe 200 nits, and then we'll, we'll go up and we'll do our specular highlights at 1,000. And hey, it looks great. Well, it looks great, but now let's go watch that in the living room where it's a lot brighter. There's a lot more surround light. You kind of lose some of that HDR effect. You know, it's funny that you and I, you and I have talked about this when we were working on some of these, you know, doing some of these test grades and stuff with these monitors. And I, I feel now that I've gotten time in front of, I had some brief time in front of a Pulsar, but now that I've had extended time in front of the 310K at 3000 nits, it's almost like HDR doesn't really start until you get above 1,000 nits. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, I, and, I, and I've tried to sell this to clients. They've come in, they look at 1,000 nits, and they're like, yeah, it looks cool, great, you know? But I really feel that, like, when somebody does see a 3,000 or a 4,000 nit, uh, you know, monitor displaying, you know, well-graded content, it is like, holy cow, that's impressive. And it's 
the the difference is 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 tangible. Like I mean, it's like visceral for a lot of people uh, when they see that difference. Yeah. Um, so so that brings me to a good segue, Brahman. I'm curious how you you personally feel about this and kind of the FSI approach. It seems like we're in the middle of a a little bit, bit of a nits arm race, right? You yes. know, it's just like, and it's now that the technology is kind of getting getting there. You know, I've seen in the past year, I've seen Sony give some demos of ten thousand nit monitors and Panasonic do other things and you know what's your feeling about where we're going with this kind of peak brightness uh peak luminance uh arms race is it a good thing is it a bad thing where do you think we we're gonna end up well yeah i think it could be a good thing and and not to dwell on what we were just talking about too much but it's the same thing like if, if we are gonna grade where things you know have a average picture level of you know 400 500 nits and then we're gonna have uh, because we expect people to view it in a much brighter living room um, the thing is that thousand nit doesn't give you that HDR pop anymore. So you really do need that 3000 nit or plus um, uh, light level to give you that same you know effect. So when there's you know fire that emerges on screen or an explosion or the sun comes up, that it doesn't seem almost subdued compared to your viewing environment. Um, now, that being said, there are there are some big challenges in you know one of them being cost. If you want to do more than a thousand nits at this point, you're getting into um, what is admittedly stupidly expensive. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know, you're, you're you're buying you're buying a nice like you know luxury kind of car. You know that's what you're buying. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. exactly. And and so the question is, you know. Uh, of what level of importance is that going to be to people? I do on the professional side. I understand why so many people um, are interested in something like a 310K at 3000 nits because it does give you the ability to do a much more, I guess, future-proof grade because yeah. nobody has a crystal ball in this stuff. And if we are all going to be you know, eventually grading at 2000 or 4000 nits, um, it's going to require a lot less rework um, of the content that's been mastered uh, if you have a display that can do that here and now. Um, so I, I think there's definitely a real world need for this. I don't know if it's what all facilities need. Um, and it's going to it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm really interested to see how this kind of falls, uh, you know, when we go around and show different options to, to clients, which way they elect to go. You know, are they happy at 1,000? Are they happy at 3,000? Um, but I, certainly the facilities I've been speaking to, there are plenty who are interested in 310K specifically because they are trying to future-proof themselves and grade at these higher uh, nit levels. And clearly it's it's unique in the market. I mean, it's the closest thing to a Pulsar there is, and everybody knows there's only, what, 18 or 20 Pulsars in the world, yeah. and those are, on, those are only HD, and plus you need a substation to run them. So, you know, this <laughs> you have an advantage there. Now, Brom, when, we, when uh, you came up with the 310K and we sat down and took a look at it... Um, you know, I, and I actually just for the fun of it, uh, I put that picture that you took of me in front of the uh, the monitor, uh, holding my ha hands up to my face because it was too bright. Um, you know, my experience with it was that yeah, three thousand nits is really bright, right? Yes. It, it is significantly brighter than a thousand nits. I mean, it's almost like you know, it's it's two thousand nits more obviously, but it feels way more than that when you're in front of it and something that's bright. Uh, as you saw when you were sitting there in the room with me and we were kind of starting to mess with some grades, like I struggled a little bit with this 3000 nit thing, right? Like I was doing moves that I would normally do surely in SDR, but even making moves that I would make in a thousand nit HDR grade and they just weren't working. Right. You know, I was brightening things up and I was, you know, I was having banding problems. I, you know, things were falling apart a little bit. Um, you know, one of the things, and I'm just kind of get your perspective because I think you had a great way of kind of telling me what was going on or we kind of worked it out together at least. Um, you know, as I was pushing things up to that 3000 nit, 
uh, and things were falling apart, you basically said, well, that makes sense, Rob, because there's not enough code values for those things you want to describe or something like that. I forget how exactly you said it. What was, what was, what was going on there? I was trying to push things up. They were falling apart and you basically said, yeah, that's not going to work because there's not enough code values, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, and what you're touching on is, is this idea of, you know, you can with HDR raise your average picture level, um, much more than you can with SDR. You can go from a hundred nit average, you know, or max even to, you can make that your new average picture level. You could have your average picture level at 200, 300, 400 yeah. nits. I think the the error that we got ourselves into is we're like, oh, shiny new toy that can do 3,000 nits. And <laughs> right. what ends up happening is um, we push everything up, right? And then you're yep. like, all right, well, we've got an average picture level of 1,200 nits. <laughs> and and now we're pushing, you know, we're pushing those, those highlights, which is a, a good portion of the screen. We're trying to push all that up into the 2,000, 3,000 nit territory. And again, that, that's not really the purpose of HDR. And what ends up happening is there, there aren't co enough code values. Your code values kind of uh, fall off uh, aggressively as you get uh, near What is the top. it, like 50% of PQ range is like what, from 0 to 100? It's basically 0 to 100 nits. And then I think the, you know from 100 to 1,000, I think you're looking at something like 20% or so of yeah. your, your code values. And then they start to aggressively fall off. And I think we were right. looking at like in a 10-bit range, not 12-bit, but in a 10-bit range, I think you only have like 20 or so code values between 8,000 and 10,000 nits. So it, it, it becomes this thing where if you try to cram too much up top, so you've got all this dynamic range range you may yep. have you know seen data that is uh, in a 10 bit range you know the the gradient may be represented by by 500 or so uh, possible steps and now you're trying to move all of that content that was captured into a range where maybe you only have a hundred steps well yep. what's going to end up happening is those those things are going to come together obviously and it's going to start to look like they're clipping a little bit and so you you and you have so it's interesting because you're fighting two things you have on the one side um, on the capture side, if they haven't been thinking too much about HDR, you may have a lot of sensor clipping. And then on the flip side, on the post side, you may, in addition to sensor clipping, you may also have this issue of you're trying to cram a lot of detail into a very narrow range. And that becomes a, a little bit of a, of a challenge. It, it, it was a severe challenge and it was eye-opening because, you know, I think in the, and this goes back to the discussion about kind of is, you know, a thousand nits not enough because in that, that zero to a thousand nits I, I hadn't really and I've done quite a bit of that I hadn't really experienced that right because that range was relatively limited and as even if I was pushing average picture level it was still within a range where there was enough code values to give things enough detail and enough you know information as possible um, but when we get in this 3000 nit raising that you're absolutely right and what I found was that objects that have a, even a moderate amount of detail if you try to bring them up there and they're being described by less and less code values, they fall apart quicker. So, you know, things that were kind of blurry, kind of diffuse light, you know, things of that nature work work amazing at 3000 nits, right? But, you know, the side of a, you know, sunlight hitting the side of a really textured, detailed mountain and bringing that whole thing up, yeah, that's that's no good. And I think it's going to it's going to take a little while to kind of get kind of feel where the sweet spot is or, as a colorist about how you kind of separate the parts of the tonal range and where you put 
different areas of detail at different parts of this range. Absolutely. And I think I, one, one shot that, that struck me was we, we had this, like, uh, I was looking at you grading this cliff surface. And I saw that you were bringing this cliff surface up to where, you know, half of the detail in that cliff surface <laughs> was probably at 1,500 to 3,000 nits. And it Come just on, fell, turn it, it to it, 11. Yeah, it, it, and it, it fell apart. Um, but when you brought it down a little, it was interesting because what, what you can still do is those specular highlights, which yeah. the nature of, the, of a specular highlight typically being that it's a small, bright object, is that that stuff looks really cool. So when you have that glint of white light that's shining off of, you know, chrome on a car, yeah, that yeah. looks spectacular. If you've got, you know, the Luxar at night and you're taking a photo of that, <laughs> that looks spectacular. Uh, if you're trying to make an entire, you know, uh, cliff face with, you know, all these different sandstone type colors uh, and you make all that live at 2000 nits plus, it just doesn't work. It does. does work. And, but, but it's interesting because I think from a, from a, an aesthetic point of view, there is going to be a little bit of a learning curve for colorists sitting down and grading with these high net values. Absolutely. I actually had the I actually had the, uh, the luxury of talking with... Um, uh, Shane, who's the lead colorist at Adobe out in uh, in California, yep. and I, where I was talking to him about this phenomenon, he was just giggling at me, right? Like, you know, like yeah, like in a kind of a knowing giggle. Yep, like <laughs> yeah, been yep, been there. Okay, yep, you're gonna make those mistakes. You're gonna make those mistakes. Uh, and it was really interesting. And I think that uh, you you hit on a really cool point about how. We have this 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 capability now to do three, four, five thousand nits, whatever it is on some of these newer monitors, and it 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 doesn't necessarily aesthetically mean that you have to push everything in there, right? I think it's going to take some time uh, to figure out what stuff goes in there, but it also it's going to take some time with, uh, you know shooters and dps to figure out a little bit of that stuff as well right yeah uh, kind of setting up their exposures and you know how they uh, how they what kind of content they shoot as well uh, to make that work yeah i think i think we're gonna get the uh what i what i'm gonna start referring to is the colorist uh apl bell curve right so <laughs> you when you first get this thing you're gonna keep pushing it keep pushing it keep pushing it find out where it breaks and then after a while, you're going to go, you know, what if I grade this like I'm grading SDR and sprinkle a little bit of magic on it as yeah, opposed to trying exactly. to uh, as opposed to trying to lift everything to a thousand nits and start there. <laughs> and I couldn't I couldn't help. I mean, I know that you were sitting there watching me kind of also just, you know, just kind of seeing my impressions of the monitor. But I couldn't I couldn't help but feel that, like. You kind of knew this was going to happen, right? Yeah. Like you, were looking at, you, you were looking at me, and I'm like cranking everything up and going, scratching my head, and you're like, kind of had this little smirk on your face. So it's fine. You have, you know, I have to. It's like being a parent. You have to let your kids fail on their yeah. own. Well, it's like uh, buying a new guitar amp, right? You got to see how yeah, loud yeah. that thing goes. <laughs> exactly. No, so Brom, um, let's uh, let's uh, wrap it up here with a couple more things about the XM310K. Um, one of the things that uh, is unique about this monitor is that it's a 31 inch panel, right? So it's a yep. it's a big bigger panel than the 24 or 25 inch monitors that you see kind of typical of of some of your other displays you know like the dm250 and stuff correct i i personally really like that size i think it's a nice sweet spot um but this is a um this is a true dci 4k resolution panel right so 4096 you get true 4096 by 2160 and one of the advantages of it being lcd as opposed to some of the oled technologies people have been using is that we find that even if you buy something like this the majority of our customers are going to use uhd like 90 percent of the time and then they may go to uh, true DCI um, for 10% of their projects. Um, with this display, you don't have to worry about burn-in uh, when you do that. So if you're using it extensively for UHD and then you switch to DCI, it, you're not going to have bars on the side of your image. 
Yeah, those the OLED displays, uh, those 4K OLED panels are, are prone to that. Pretty much everyone I've ever seen has had some sort of pillar bar burning on the side. Exactly. Um, so uh, in terms of connectivity, we have, uh, this is also just like the 650U, this monitor features 12G connectivity, correct? Correct. So uh, you have four 12 gigabit a second SDI connections on it. It allows you to do single link 12G, single link 6G, double six, uh, quad three, uh, double three, four six, uh, quad... <laughs> Uh, 1.5, uh, basically any way you can over SDI, so, get 4K so, or UHD, so you can do it. Yes, yeah. it does, it does it, everything. It does now, all the things, yes. Now, one of the, the, the unique features that I, I think that a lot of facilities will take a use uh, use of is that it, it does also have a built-in HD down convert featured in the monitor, correct? A- absolutely. So you have a clean loop through, which is always going to be whatever you send in is what you get out. And then you also have a processed output. And that processed output can be set to different settings. So what you can do is you can continue out and go, you know, if you're feeding at 6G, you can continue to feed 6G, but you can also toggle a setting on the monitor menu and you can have a down conversion from your 12G, 6G, double 6G, double 3G, whatever you're feeding it uh, to a either 3G or 1.5G signal. And what that allows you to do is if you're feeding at uh, 4K, you can get a 2K signal out. If you're feeding at HD or UHD, you can get an HD signal out. So you can continue that signal on to, you know, other monitors in the room or scopes. Um, scopes is a big one. I, I see that a lot of facilities have invested in like really nice scopes. The colors is comfortable with the scopes and they don't want to spring on the, you know, what the cost would be to upgrade to 4K capable scopes. Um, so this gives you the ability to use your existing HD scope or um, hardware uh, by just feeding a signal directly out of the monitor and not relying on a standalone down converter to do it. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, now, one of the things you guys have obviously become famous for over uh, over the years is uh, your calibration capabilities, right? Mm-hmm. The ability, obviously, for you guys to do in-house calibrations, but also giving you know the end users uh, the ability to uh, to calibrate the monitors themselves. Um, does the three ten K? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing, of course, that it does have calibration capabilities. Yes. But there are any? Are there? Is there anything unique about the calibration with this monitor? I know that you've briefly told me that uh, calibration is a little different, some more challenging with it. Can you speak to those things uh, just a little bit? Yeah, so uh, we we basically um, need to calibrate not just the uh, kind of TFT front plane, but we also have to calibrate the response of the backlight. So we have an automated system that allows that backlight um, calibration to happen. Uh, and we'll, we'll have some more kind of public details on that probably okay. in the next couple of months or so. But uh, it is a pretty cool system and it is a different level of consideration. The nice thing is that we've, for the end user, we've made that process exceptionally simple. Um, so you'll be able to, uh, you'll be able to handle that without, you know, too much additional trouble. Um, and, and that's an important thing to keep in mind because this is a much more complicated beast than a, uh, than a typical display. Okay, that's very cool. Um, so can users get the XM310K now if they want? Uh, we just started accepting orders Tuesday. <laughs> okay, and, that's uh, great. Congrats. Uh, and it, uh, basically we got like a three-week lead time or so. Um, first customer is going to be getting theirs not next week but the week after. So um, oh, that's, exciting. that's already in, in the pipeline. So, yep, uh, they are starting to roll out, and uh, they, uh, it, it's, a, it's a real thing you can get your hands on. <laughs> 
So where's the uh, where's the next place that uh, people can see the XM310K in action? You guys obviously travel all around the world for shows and stuff. Where's the uh, next destination that somebody can see it? Well, I'll be at your place in a, uh, next week, so <laughs> yeah, it'll be there. Uh, and then beyond that, we'll uh, we'll also have it on display at Broadcast Asia in Singapore. Um, that will be uh, kind of the next uh, trade show type event where we yep. have that. So stop by the Media Village booth if you're out in Singapore and you can see the 310K in action. We'll probably be playing some content that you graded Robbie so I think it'll look pretty sweet um, people can come check out uh, the unit for themselves and then uh, throughout the summer we will be doing uh, demo tours um, to you know customers who are very interested in this um, in Europe and in uh, all over North America as well uh, and then we'll be uh, spreading out and doing some other areas of the globe it'll definitely be on display at IBC of course at um, BIR TV in Beijing um, all the major trade shows will have this on display. Well, very cool. Brahm, I think you and the team have a lot to be proud of with uh, this monitor. It is extremely, extremely uh, impressive. And I think uh, for the facilities and the uh, the users that need this level of performance, there's really nothing close that comes close at the moment. Uh, and it's going to be really cool to see how uh, you know it's treated in the wild and how the stuff that people are going to be able to grade on it. So uh, congratulations. And uh, also don't also don't forget, uh, if you're, um, you know, for your HDR monitoring needs, the 650U is also a very compelling uh, monitor in the XM series, nice big 65-inch uh, OLED. Uh, I think for a lot of facilities, that fits the uh, the ultimate goal of a single display in the room uh, yep. that can play, that can please everybody, uh, and that is also equally uh, very very stunning. Uh, and having had stick time on both of these displays, uh, it's really hard to go wrong. So, Brom, again, congratulations, and uh, yeah, we'll hope to uh, see them. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen them, see them out in the wild to experience them yourself because they're pretty darn cool. For the old mixing light. I am Robbie Carmen. Once again, my guest has been Brom Desmond from Flanders Scientific Monitors. Thanks again, Brom. And uh, hopefully this uh, podcast was uh, educational and eye-opening about some of the things facing uh, HDR monitoring and the offerings from Flanders. <laughs>